the sermon title and it says all things. And I said, oh boy, this is going to be a long sermon. We are post-Easter. In many ways, we are an Easter people and we are living uh, in this space where we say, so now that Christ has risen, how then do we live? And we talked about that a bit last week. We're, we're in that same conversation again today uh, of how do we live in response to the resurrection? And this morning, we're going to consider two questions in that vein. One is, what is the gospel? What is this good news? And the first passage that Betty read for us gets after that. The second question is, how do we live in response to this good news? So we're going to dig into that. And in the last part of Colossians, really, we could go through every verse in Colossians. And these are the two questions that the whole book of Colossians is, is grappling with. It's, what is the gospel? And that comes out in the first two chapters. And the how then shall we live is really chapters 3 and 4. But we're going to focus that a little bit more rather than trying to do the whole book in one morning. The gospel. The gospel is... I want you to take just a moment and, and with a neighbor or two, some people around you, just one or two words about what's core to the gospel besides Jesus, okay? Because none of the, the quick church answer, Jesus, and then you're done. Just talk with each other, and if you don't know, you can say, that's okay, I, I'm not quite sure. I don't know how I would describe it. So turn to your neighbors. You can talk in church. That's okay. Just share a bit. What, what is the gospel? Just a few words. Okay, we'll pull it back together because we, we like to talk with each other and, and for a lot of us, faith is really important to us and this is something we could talk about for a very long time. Um, some of us have theological training and we like to hear ourselves talk about these things. What is the gospel? In some sense, there is, a, there is an overarching gospel. There is an overarching good news. And that's what the first part of Colossians is, is answering. But it's also a very personal response. What is the good news to me? And if we were to take some more time and, and ask that second question, what is the good news to me? We would hear stories of broken, uh, of pain, of God entering into places of our lives that have been shattered and stepping in with grace and peace and, and his presence, changing us and forgiving us. And we'll need some space as God's people to have times to have those conversations, but we're not going to do that right now this morning. We're going to take a look for a moment at what is this bigger gospel 
this text answers it in a few ways. It starts off by, by saying the good news is all things were created in Christ Jesus. All things. And, and if you read this text, that, that word all pops up multiple times. It's almost every sentence, and a couple of them, it, it appears two or three times in the sentence. All things, all this, all that, all, all, all. Paul's trying to, to say it's not just a, a local gospel. It's not just a global gospel. This is actually a cosmic gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is really something that has to do with the very nature of who God is, and it's something that stretches across every aspect of what we can conceive as creation. It starts off by saying the Son, Jesus Christ, is the fullness of the image of God. The fullness of God's image. In some sense, Paul's saying, you want to know the gospel? Look at Jesus. Because you don't talk about the gospel unless you have first said, this is who God is. And Paul, in trying to describe the gospel to the people in Colossae, says, look at Jesus. We like to talk about Jesus. We like to form our theology and explain who Jesus is. Paul says, this is where the gospel starts. This is where the good news begins. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's the one who, who created everything. He was there in the beginning to, to start all the creation off. The good news didn't start on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. The good news started when God decided in his infinite wisdom to create, to make life. And to say, out of God's pleasure, I desire that there would be life and a full flourishing of life and a diversity of life. And so I'm going to make the world and the universe and people. And I'm going to even breathe my life into them. The good news doesn't start with our fallenness. It doesn't start with the cross or the resurrection. The good news starts with God who creates a God who is not somehow distant and uninvolved, but a God who desires that we would be alive. That there would be life. And, and God says this gospel, this good news is made known in Jesus Christ and starts listing the, the angels and the spiritual realms and the heavenly forces and, and all these things that are beyond our comprehension. And says all of these things are brought together in Christ. Uses a word in here that, that is probably best translated. I think the NIV says uh, held together. But it's, it's probably best translated as cohere. It, it means they stand together. In some sense the implication is unless, unless Christ is in the middle, they're all going to fall apart. Have you ever done those trust circles? Anybody ever done those trust circles where you all squat and the person in front of you squats down too and you get this whole circle going around where you're all leaning on each other to hold, hold yourselves up and there's always one joker in the group who decides they're going to be the first one to pull out and everything else falls? Cohere is when they're all together. And when they're all held up, they're all supported together. But this says it is Christ who actually makes that possible. All things, all those spiritual realms we don't understand, 
all those physical people that we do see and sometimes don't understand. It's all of us together, all these things, and even the earth itself. All of this is held together in Christ. This is part of the gospel good news. It's not just random events and random evolution and random this or that. It is a God who has been purposeful. A God who has been engaged since the beginning. A God who has a vision for how the whole universe actually fits together and works together. So often we want to get in arguments about science or religion and this or that and we pit pieces of creation against each other. And our ideas about how the world should work or not work and, and we fight with each other. But this is actually a, a bold claim, a bold good news claim that all of creation has been knit together in such a way that it actually works in Christ. There's hope in that. There's new life in that. There's joy that's possible because all things actually do work together. It goes on. It's not just for what has been created, but the good news involves this forward looking. It, it talks about how Christ is the firstborn from among the dead. He's the, the one who is the head of the church so that in everything that God is yet doing and is to do still ahead of us, bringing this new life, this resurrection life about, that Christ will still remain the center. In part, what Paul's saying is, Christ is not just good news that the world began on the right page. Christ is good news because God is at work today through the church, and Christ is the center of the church. And Christ is good news for what is yet to come because Christ has already been raised from the dead. The new life that God has promised is not only possible, it is being made perfect. It is being brought together in Jesus Christ. Paul leaves us no room to say one day we'll be able to do it on our own. God fixed us up and set us going and now we've got it. We're in charge. We've got everything under control. Thanks for getting us this far, God. We can do it now. We don't need you. It says from the beginning, from the beginning of time, in all space, all things, every square inch, not just of the earth, but of the entire universe, of the spiritual realms and the physical realms, Christ is the center. The good news is God in the flesh, in Jesus Christ, is holding all things together. That's our security. That's our hope. That's our certainty. That's the good news. Think who Paul's writing to. He's writing to Colossians who are in the crossroads of the Roman Empire. They have seen the brutality of the Roman Empire. They have seen the economic abuses of the empire. They've seen all the brokenness uh, that creation has to offer and people and philosophy and religion have to offer. They've tried it. They've been there, done that, tried it, and found it failing. And Paul's saying, there's still hope, people. Not because we can manufacture things, not because we can control things, not because we can figure it out. The good news is that from the beginning, God already had it figured out. And in Jesus Christ, he is still at work, and he promises to be to work until all things are made new. The good news, God's got us. 
even when we don't understand. He adds this to the gospel. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul gets specific. It's not just some abstract reality. It's Jesus who died. The one who was crucified, the one who really bled and suffered, who entered into the depth of of the brokenness the world has to offer and took it on himself and said, I am going to reconcile all things. I'm going to take the worst the world has to offer and I'm going to own it as my own and make it so that all of you are brought together in me. All things in Christ, in his death and resurrection. We read the next couple verses beyond what Betty had read in in chapter 1. This is what we hear. It's not just a cosmic gospel. Listen to what happens with this big cosmic reconciliation. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you as holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. You were torn apart from God. This is where it turns from this this big cosmic work that God's doing and all of a sudden Paul's personal. He says, you, each of you were torn apart from God. You You were a foreigner to God. You were living as if God didn't exist and wasn't in the center of all things. You rebelled. You became an enemy to God. How's that for a cheery word? You were God's enemies. And here's the good news. While you were his enemies, he reconciled you. By Christ's physical body, he entered into your death and took it on to himself. And because he did that, you now, though you were his enemies, though you were estranged from him and a foreigner to him, you have been brought in and made perfect without blemish and free from accusation. There is the good news. This gospel, this cosmic good news that God holds all things together and is making all things new in Christ applies to each of us as a person. That each of us are being wrapped into the story of God's grace. The good news is not intended to simply be an abstract concept that we intellectually say, I agree. It's meant to be something that transforms us. That gets into that space where we move from being an enemy of God to being someone who represents God as holy and without blemish and without accusation. In another letter, Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and he described this transition this way. Christ became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Notice he doesn't say that righteousness might be attributed to us. 
He didn't give this big fancy theory about it. He didn't say you, you'll be given this little tag that says you're good to go. He said you're actually going to become God's righteousness. The transformation happens. You know, a lot of us come to worship, and we've been coming for years, some of us for decades. We've been coming here to worship, and we go home. And we go, my life isn't any different than the people around me. We feel as if we're ca- these little caterpillars, right? Who, who just keep eating, and they're hungry. I like Eric Carl, Hungry Caterpillar. Anybody ever read that? Just keeps eating and eating and eating and eating. And, and we feel like we've been coming to church for decades, and we're just keep eating and eating, and we go, is that my only purpose, just to take this in? And the good news is, no, we're actually supposed to be transformed a lot of the underlying language of transformation that happens when we hear this good news and we take it actually uses the word metamorphosis. Same word we talk about for a caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. They go through a metamorphosis, a change of their very being. And that's what God is at work doing in Jesus Christ. He is transforming our very being. He is making us new and different. The cosmic work of God is coming home into each of our lives. We might ask, so what does that gospel transformation look like? It's Colossians 3, 1 through 4. It serves as kind of a a, a fulcrum point to move from what is the gospel into how does it transform us and what does it look like to be transformed. There's that little transition point there and this is what it says since then you have been raised with Christ set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your minds on things above not on earthly things for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory I don't know if you caught it in there Paul's transition is to talk about the resurrection we're raised with Christ, but also to talk about a dying that happens. You died. You know what that language is? That dying and rising? Dying and rising? heart of our baptismal language we die with Christ we enter into the death not on our own but with him and through him and we are raised to new life there is a a dying that's happening and a rising that's happening to remind us of this some Some church traditions, the Orthodox traditions and some of the Roman Catholic and Anglican traditions actually keep a baptismal font in the middle of the sanctuary. And every week, whether or not someone's being baptized, that water sits there and people are invited to come in and and touch the water. To remember that, that as they are gathered here for worship, they are part of a bigger story of being wrapped into the dying and rising 
with Jesus Christ. And all their burdens, all their sins, all their brokenness is, is drowned in Christ's death. And all that new life, all the hopes, all they desire for life is, is being brought together in new purposes, in new desires, in, in new reality, in Christ's resurrection. Sometimes when we do a baptism here, we invite the kids as they come up just to touch the water, to remember that, that dying and rising with Christ. The cosmic reconciliation of Jesus Christ works itself out in our daily dying and rising with Jesus Christ. It's quite interesting that Paul makes this transition. He says, if you, you want to see this big cosmic reconciliation, you want to see it happen, you want to participate in it, it starts with you learning how to die and rise. And then he describes, he takes all, uh, pretty much all of chapter 3 from, from verse 5 through 17 to describe that dying and then the rising. The dying goes this way. He, he talks about put it to death. Crucify, literally crucify those obvious sins. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Those big things that, that seem so obvious, those are the things we need to crucify. Don't let them have any life in us. For some of us, this is where it starts. This is the challenge. How do I die how, how, do I, how do I crucify some of these patterns and behaviors that are in my life around sexual immorality, around impurity or lust, these evil kind of self-centered desires that just want to please myself and just want to escape from everything in the world? How do I, how do I crucify that? Paul uses such strong language here. Literally crucify it takes work. It takes intentionality. It, crucifixion was a bloody mess. And it was public. And it was smelly. And, and it was sh kind of a culture that had shame written all over it. It was embarrassing. When something was being crucified, it was often stripped publicly. Paul's saying, crucify these things. Name them as things that have been in your life that you don't want any more power Practically speaking, find someone to talk to and say, I need help. Sister, brother in Christ, help. Help me kill these things. Help me get these things out of my life. He adds to it. It's not just the big things. It's also taking out the garbage. He uses the word get rid of. It, it kind of had the idea of hauling trash away. Grab that garbage, that, that daily kind of weekly rhythms, those small things of, of the garbage can fills. Don't let it overflow. You pick it up, you take it out. You know when you walk in the kitchen and someone hasn't taken out the little organics bag in a while. It's got a smell in there, right? And he starts naming things. These are the garbage things, the daily things that kind of accumulate on us. And here's what he says. Anger, rage, malice kind of a big three all together. That, that grumpy self-centeredness that, that's more concerned about your rights than about serving other people. I need my way now. We take the Burger King motto, make it your way, and we make that our life motto. 
It's all going to be about me and myself and what I want and kind of push everybody else off, right? And he's saying, get rid of those things. Yes, people have harmed you. Yes, people have injured you. Yes, people have done things wrong. Be gracious. Let those things go. Take out the trash. Slander and filthy language. It's how we talk about and with each other. Isn't it amazing? The dying with Christ, this big cosmic reconciliation God's doing, has to do with the words of our mouth. I wonder David at one point said, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Our mouths participate in the grand reconciliation, the cosmic reconciliation God's doing. And for some of us, that taking out the garbage isn't just a once a week thing. That piece is a daily thing and sometimes an hour by hour or half an hour by half an hour thing. We struggle with our words. And he adds in there, and don't lie to each other. You've died with Christ and been raised with him. Be honest. Be upfront. Don't present a false image. Don't, don't bear false witness against each other. Use your words to speak truth. Use your lives to embody truth. And he says, there's no more, there's no more Jew or Gentile, no more circumcised or uncircumcised. And he makes this list of all these economic and social barriers that have divided us from each other. And he said, the daily dying with Christ is breaking these boundaries down because Christ is in all and through all. If we are going to die with Christ, it involves crucifying these big sins in our life. But it involves this daily work of taking out the garbage, taking out those things that have infiltrated our ways of living with each other and, and distort our relationships between each other. The gospel also involves a rising with Christ, a daily rising with Christ. You know what I love about this? He doesn't say, now everyone go become social workers. I love social workers. My wife has a social work background, okay? But he doesn't say, everybody go do that. He doesn't say, everybody become uh, skilled in economics and become one of these people who work on global economics. We need some of those folks, but he doesn't say, everybody go do that. In fact, he doesn't list any professions here. Lots of time, Paul lifts the gifts of the Spirit and, and starts listing the gifts of the Spirit and says to them, now, now go do this. If you're a teacher, go teach. If you can show mercy, go show mercy. If you're a leader, go lead. If you're a pastor, go pastor. And he names all these things that we're supposed to be doing. They're activities and, and occupations. And in this passage, he doesn't. This is the first part of what, uh, in chapter 3, what Betty read. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved... Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The first part is, you've been changed. Do you notice that? He prefaces this whole, this whole section about daily rising with Christ hinges on this phrase, as God's children, holy and dearly loved. Quite a contrast from being enemies of God and alienated from God, isn't it? You're not just welcomed into his house. You're not just tolerated as a guest on his property. 
You are God's child. You are a child, not just a, a kind of the black sheep child who you, oh, headache after headache. You are a child who is dearly loved. Holy and dearly loved. This is your new identity. You are now the butterfly flapping out, okay, of the cocoon. That's what you're reading here. You are in that new life. You have been changed. You are a child of God, holy and dearly loved. And someday, we'll just preach the sermon on that and let us sit with that. It may be the heart of the gospel for us that we need to hear again and again and again and again, daily reminding ourselves. Some of us could put it in our calendar for every hour so it pops up every hour on our phone or, or on our computer. Reminder. You are a child of God, holy and dearly loved. We desperately need to hear that message again and again. That is who we are. And before we talk about anything else, that's who we are. This rising with Christ, this coming back from the dead with Christ, is rooted in this concept. That we have been transformed from enemies of God to dearly loved children of God and as his dearly loved children when we get up in the morning this is how we get dressed compassion kindness humility gentleness patience I don't know about you but I honestly could spend my whole life working just on those five I really could Every day, get up. Today, I'm going to be compassionate. Today, because I am a dearly loved child of God, I'm going to be kind to people. I probably talk a whole lot less. You know that? I'd have to guard my mouth way more than what I tend to do. To be patient, to, to act in humility towards others, there's a wonderful phrase as a parent that you learn. You have, God gave you two ears and one mouth. You need to listen right now. But in reality, if we're going to have this humility and get dressed with this humility, it's almost as if we have to put something over our mouths first so that we spend more of our time listening to the people around us. What about gentleness? Gentleness isn't just about physical gentle with people. It's also about attitudes and abrasiveness. It's, it's, it's as if we can hold up a mirror to ourselves and, and check in the mirror our facial expressions every time we hear something that we don't like. Go, okay, how do, I, how do I work my facial muscles right now so I don't look angry and I can come across gentle? There is a lot of work, daily work of rising with Christ that's in these things. Paul centers in perhaps the heart of the gospel. Because we've been made new in Jesus Christ, we imitate him in the basic thing God did for us. He forgave us our sins. And Paul uses forgiveness a couple times in this passage, and it's, it's a different word. Matthew often uses a, a word that, that has to do with letting go of boats or letting go of debts. Um, it, it's this letting go of, of physical things. 
Paul uses different word that's that's tied into the word for grace and expands on on the word grace and it has more of a a positive action rather than a letting go of his idea of grace is a a generosity poured out it's it's grace all over people it's that word for grace charis and then it's it's got a few added pieces around it so that it's kind of overflowing with grace pour out grace on people so that water that was was poured on here that baptismal water being poured in, become a people who pour forgiveness. Forgiveness just gushes out of you. You don't wait for people to make it right. You don't wait for them to grovel and do the appropriate apology and say the phrase just the right way. You go to them and say, listen, I'm going to forgive you. There's a brokenness between you and I'm extending grace. You allow it to flow out of you so that it, it isn't making sure that they've measured up and they've done the appropriate contrition. It is simply because of who you are, because of who Jesus is to you, that you overflow with this generous grace toward others. And then he says love. It's like take love as a, a belt that wraps around you or a, a sash that kind of holds it all together. You put love on we are wrapped into God's cosmic reconciliation of all things not as our occupation takes us but as our character our hearts and minds are transformed in Christ Jesus it's that daily dying and rising that's where the gospel lives he ends with this, and we will as well. When we become a community, when we as a whole become a community who are daily dying together and daily rising together, this is what we can expect will look like. We'll become a people where the peace of Christ rules in our hearts, since as members of one body, we were called to peace. We'll be a people who are thankful. Uh, the message of Christ will dwell richly among us as we teach each other, admonish each other with wisdom and, and through psalms, hymns, all sorts of songs. People will be creating songs because there will be so much thanksgiving and joy in our midst. We'll have gratitude in our hearts towards God. And whatever we do, whether it's our words, whether it's our actions, all the things we'll do, we'll be doing it together in the name of Jesus Christ giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. It's quite amazing, Lord, this big cosmic reconciliation that you are doing, where you hold all things together and are making all things new in Jesus Christ, doesn't overlook us. In fact, it gets down into the nitty-gritty of our lives. You bring your forgiving, generous grace in Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection, into the, the crannies of our life, those spaces we'd rather not have people look at and you say, I'm here too. Even this space is being made new. Thank you. Help us to live as dearly loved children. Help us to believe that that 
good news is really true. Help us to crucify those things that, that dishonor you and dishonor each other. Help us to take out the, the daily garbage, to be transformed, to be made new in the way we speak with each other and act with each other so that your forgiveness may pour out of us even as you have poured it into us. We look forward, Lord, to seeing your life flourishing in us as a community of people, so much so that we break out in song because of how good you are. May you make yourself known in this place, among these people, because you are faithful. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Invite us to stand and sing together, Yesu, Yesu, fill us with your love.